1: An unknown assailant walked into a retail store and fired three shots, killing the owner. Police had suspects, but all had alibis. Forensic scientists found more than a crime perpetrated in broad daylight. Hidden in the shadows was a killer. is a particularly pretty time in Spring Grove, Pennsylvania. Landscape photographers and local artists usually found their way here to the Gray Fox Gallery. The owner, Jennifer Myers, was a well-known picture framer.
2: Just a wonderful woman, a wonderful mother, a wonderful wife, and a good friend to a lot of people.
1: Managing a retail shop isn't easy. One year earlier, Jennifer was robbed in the store at gunpoint. Since then, her husband, Steve, stopped in every afternoon on his way home from work at the local factory. Most afternoon visits were uneventful, but October 20th, 1997, was different. My wife's been shot. Your wife's been shot. Yeah, Grey Fox Gallery in Spring Grove. Hurry.
2: Okay, sir, listen to me. Okay, do you know who shot her? No, I don't. Okay, where out on her body is she shot? In the face. Okay, is she breathing? Sir, is she breathing? No.
1: When police arrived, Jennifer was dead on the floor behind the counter. She had been shot three times. Several workers nearby said they heard popping noises a few hours earlier around 1 p.m. No one thought they were gunfire. Several witnesses saw a man with long black hair running from the shopping center sometime around 1 p.m. This was someone that went in there with the sole
0: intent to kill the victim. There was no struggle. A fight didn't precipitate this
1: homicide. A robbery didn't precipitate this no money was missing from the cash register or Jennifer's purse this brazen attack in a busy retail area at midday told police that the killer was willing to risk everything to kill Jennifer Myers
3: it's somebody who definitely wanted her dead that had a problem with her and excluding robbery as being a motive uh, that's what you have to start looking at. Who wanted Jennifer Myers dead. A
1: ballistic examination identified the murder weapon as either a 357 or a 38 caliber revolver.
3: In Pennsylvania there's a database as far as registered handguns. So we began to look at that and we found that Stephen Myers did have a 357 that he owned.
1: Steve Myers willingly turned over the pistol for forensic analysis, but he didn't resemble the man seen running near the shop earlier in the day. Witnesses said they heard popping sounds, which police suspected were gunfire, near the Gray Fox picture frame shop around 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Approximately two hours later, Steve Myers discovered his wife Jennifer shot to death on the floor of the store. Another witness saw a man running from the area,
3: wearing light blue jeans and a blue plaid flannel shirt. We believe that the shooter, Came in the store, used a blitz-style attack on her, walking right towards her, firing the first shot and striking her in the shoulder area, and then firing a second shot, striking her in the abdomen. The last shot was to the face.
1: Ballistic experts examined the bullet fragments recovered from the victim and concluded the killer used a 38 or 357 caliber revolver. The victim's husband, Steve, owned a 357 revolver. When the bullets from the crime scene were compared to those test-fired from Steve Myers' revolver, analysts concluded they were not a match. Police also confirmed that Steve Myers was at work
3: when the murder took place. Uh, that just was one more piece that fit in that he was not involved in this killing whatsoever
1: police had another promising lead. Jennifer's murder took place just one day before she was scheduled to testify against 40-year-old Kevin Dowling, the man Jennifer claimed had robbed her at gunpoint a year earlier.
0: Okay, well, now we have perhaps a motive for someone to want to have this woman dead so that she was incapable of
1: testifying. Kevin Dowling had the opportunity to commit the murder since he was free on bail that day. However, when questioned by police, Dowling said he had an alibi. He was fishing on a boat in Muddy Run Lake, a story confirmed by his wife.
3: Mrs. Dowling was very cooperative. She truly believed that her husband was not involved in this homicide whatsoever and therefore was very helpful. Dowling also
1: had evidence to support his alibi. He said he made a home video of his fishing trip that day. His wife willingly turned the video over to police.
2: As I said, here we are at Muddy Lake. Because I wanted to help prove him innocent, that he did not do this. So I was more than happy to help them. And it was sort of like a slap in the face for them. Ha ha, he did not do it.
1: The first thing police noticed was that the videotape was recorded with the date and time of day the footage was shot. It's pretty quiet, nice and peaceful out here. The tape showed Dowling fishing in the middle of the lake from 10.46 in the morning until 4 p.m. on the day of Jennifer Meyer's murder. Get mommy a- Muddy Run Lake was a 45-minute drive away from Jennifer's store. Dowling also had store receipts for fish bait, food, and the boat rental. But something about the videotape looked odd. He's trying to get
0: something on tape of him fishing, but this is clearly not someone who's interested in
1: catching any of the fish. Kevin Dowling's family confirmed the tape was made on October 20th, the day of the murder.
2: In fact, that evening when he came home and my girls were home, and after dinner, we all sat around and watched the tape with him together.
1: On the tape... Kevin spoke to his children about his impending robbery trial. He also expressed his hope that if convicted, the children would not misbehave while he was imprisoned.
0: i got to face what's ahead. I mean, I'm not responsible for what happened, but uh, no one seems to want to help me, and I don't know what to do. My main concern is uh, what's going to happen to mommy and, and all you kids.
1: Police wondered... If Dowling had somehow doctored the videotape, and if he had, could forensic science prove it? Kevin Dowling insisted he did not kill Jennifer Myers, despite the fact that she was scheduled to testify against him in an upcoming robbery trial. Dowling also had an alibi, claiming he was fishing at the time of the murder, and he offered this time and date stamp videotape as evidence. There's some big fish on his fish finder. Wish I knew how to get him to hit. The tape contains scenes shot from 10 in the morning until after 4 p.m. Jennifer's murder took place around 1 p.m., And her store was only 45 minutes away from the lake. Dowling's videotape gave him an airtight alibi. But police were still suspicious. Although Dowling shot scenes throughout the day, the entire running time of the tape was only 12 minutes. He
3: talked several times in the tape about catching fish. Yet, you never saw any fish on the tape, which, again, struck me odd that if you are catching fish, you'd want to show them on your videotape.
1: Something else about the tape bothered Maori. Kevin Dowling repeatedly
3: glanced at his wristwatch. Which struck me kind of odd, if he was on on a casual day of fishing, why he was so concerned about the time of day. In
1: some parts of the tape, Dowling's watch faced the camera investigators isolated and enlarged clips of the watch. The timepiece was too blurry to read. Maori asked scientists at the Federal Bureau of Investigation to try digital enhancement. But the tape quality was too poor for the process to work. Determining the time when Dowling shot the video was critical, since police were well aware that the time and date stamp can be manipulated.
3: The sun was out periodically throughout the tape and was casting very good shadowing. By determining the shadowing positioning, can we work backwards and calculate the time of day using the sun its position in the sky? Detectives
1: posed the question to NASA scientists at the Goddard Space Flight Center in Greenbelt, Maryland. Surprisingly, NASA identified a local astrophysicist to help
3: them. The guy that could probably do this was right in our own backyard, and that would be Dr. Robert Boyle at Dickinson College. Dr. Robert Boyle is an associate professor of physics and
1: astronomy. When he first saw the tape, he wasn't optimistic. My heart just dropped because this was clearly not going to be a cut-and-dried
0: case of, oh, there's shadows, you use them like sundials, you can tell the
1: time. Um, because here was a picture where the camera was on a moving boat. As the Earth rotates, the position of the sun changes, creating different shadows. When using the sun to tell time, two characteristics are observed, the sun's height overhead, or altitude, and its direction along the horizon, or azimuth. The north point being zero degrees, azimuth, the east point being 90 degrees, uh, south point being 180 degrees, the west point 270 degrees. Boyle said he needed more than just the videotape to conduct a study. He needed specific
3: scientific information. He would need some measurements of the boat. He would need the measurements of Kevin Dowling. He would need the measurements of the hat that Kevin had worn in the video. But the most crucial piece
1: of information Dr. Boyle needed was the magnetic north compass heading of the boat when the videotape was shot. To find out, police took the same boat onto Muddy Run Lake and identified its exact location by matching the landscape shown on the tape. Then they identified the heading of the boat with a compass.
3: Out of the eight frames that Professor Boyle had given us, we believed that we had matched seven of the frames, and we used a degree of plus or minus five degrees as far as our degree of inaccuracy.
1: Next, using an artist's model, a light bulb, and a protractor, Dr. Boyle calculated the sun's azimuth, or direction, based on the shadows. The model represented Kevin Dowling. The light bulb, the sun. Dr. Boyle adjusted the light to produce the same shadows that were in the video. The protractor identified the sun's position based on the angle between the model and the light. Where I essentially measure the angle between the direction of the, the camera and the direction of the sun, which is being mimicked by a light bulb. Dr. Boyle used the Voyager 2 computer program which identified the sun's exact position in 15-minute increments on the day of the murder. When he compared the exact position of the sun to the shadows on the video, Dr. Boyle discovered that the times stamped on some of the scenes were bogus. Late afternoon time stamps could very well have been correct. There was a whole bunch of times in the middle that just were, were inconsistent with the astronomical data. For example, in this scene, the background analysis shows that Dowling is facing north. It's stamped 1124 in the morning. But you can see that the sun is clearly positioned to Dowling's left, which is west. It's so nice being out in the sun. At 1124... The sun would be in the east. Dr. Boyle estimates this scene was shot closer to 3 p.m.
3: Kevin Dowling now had the opportunity to commit this crime because he was not on Bloody Run Lake at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. And he
1: also had a motive. But prosecutors needed more than shadows on videotape to get a murder conviction. When police confronted Kevin Dowling with the scientific evidence that his time and date stamp videotape was a forgery, Dowling confessed, not to Jennifer Meyer's murder, but to deception. He now said that after a few hours of fishing, he went to a nearby strip club and altered the times on the videotape so that his wife wouldn't find out. I don't need to point out the
0: strangeness of that theory. Uh, first of all, why did you videotape yourself at all? Why didn't you just say, I decided I didn't want to videotape myself? And of course, his wife would have never been the wiser.
1: And the videotape revealed something else. Dowling was wearing clothes similar to the man witnesses saw running from Jennifer Meyer's
2: store. I did not want to believe that my husband, the father of my children, could do something like this to another human being
1: police found the clothes Dowling was wearing on the fishing trip in his home. They sent them to A.J. Skip Schwobel, an internationally recognized expert in forensic gunshot residue. When a pistol is fired, the firing pin ignites the elements in the projectile, which then turn into gas. The gases solidify into tiny particles which are then deposited on the hands, clothing, and the immediate proximity of the discharge. To test clothing for gunshot residue, Schrobel first used an adhesive to extract any microscopic particles. The particles were placed in a scanning electron microscope, which subjected them to extreme magnification and provided an elemental analysis. Tests revealed gunshot residue on the left side of each of Kevin Dowling's garments. This was significant since Dowling was left-handed.
3: We found that every item had, to some extent, some gunshot residue uh, present.
1: Prosecutors say Kevin Dowling carefully planned to eliminate Jennifer Myers to prevent her from testifying against him in his robbery trial. On the day of the murder, Dowling went fishing on Muddy Run Lake and used his video camera till 11.45. He then went ashore, hit the boat in some bushes, and made the 45-minute trip into town. Wearing a wig as a disguise, Dowling entered Jennifer's store around 1 p.m. and fired three shots. Gunpowder residue embedded deep into his shirt fibers, invisible to the naked eye, but perfectly clear to forensic scientists. Dowling was back in his boat on the lake sometime around 2 p.m. When he reset the time on his video camera to 11:24, he never realized that he was a human sundial. His videotape told the story of deceit, not innocence. Despite the forensic evidence, Kevin Dowling insisted he was innocent. But he was convicted of first-degree murder and was sentenced to death by lethal injection. His wife, Joanne, says she knew nothing of her husband's secret life and considers the death sentence too lenient.
2: I truly hate Kevin Dowling for everything he stands for, the person he is, what he did to people. I hate him more than I can even explain. Well, you can't ever forget the the infamous fishing tape, because how ridiculous is it to think that he would get away with something like that? I mean, there's technology today that's going to determine that this tape has been
0: doctored. It's one thing to have a motive to kill, it's another thing to actually prove that someone did it. And the forensics were able to give us the proof necessary.
2: Considering they never found the murder weapon, it's amazing what they can do nowadays. And without it, a lot of people would go free.
0: It's ironic, of course, we often talk about criminals hiding in the shadows, don't we? Um,
1: And um, in this case, the shadows were actually revealing.